Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and majors. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show. My name is Caleb Hag. With me, as always, a Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Shalom. You know, I say as I, I say as always, but you weren't with me last week. I know. What's up with that? Where was I? <laughs> I don't know. I figure you're running running errands for the lady or something. <laughs> How's it going, man? It is going well. It's going well. All is good with my soul. Good. And did you have a nice week off? We had a fun time here. Yeah, my wife and I we went to Coeur d'Alene. Oh, nice, nice. At Idaho. this time of year, the eagles come. You know, I don't know where, depending on where people live, they might see bald eagles all the time. But um, there's a, right at the end, usually in December, right at the turn of the year, there's a, a bay on the north side of Coeur d'Alene Lake where these big bald eagles will perch up in the trees and then they, they swoop down and grab fish out of the water. And there's just like a gazillion tripods with these cameras with the Mongo lenses <laughs> nice. on there. And they're, it's like, you know, it was like 10 degrees. So people are just like freezing, freezing, but they're trying to get, and it was just really pretty. My wife got some great pictures and uh, yeah, we just kind of took a week to spend some time together. And a week to yourself. Chillax. Nice. Yeah. Chillax. <laughs> I said that the other day and my wife was like, no, you're not going <laughs> to use that word. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, this is not 1992, uh, is I think what she said to me. I'm trying to get uh, the audio the 90s here. Called, they want the word back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, get our audio all worked out here. Uh, we've had interesting troubles with our audio recently, um, but I think I think we're doing good. If uh, if there's anything that is too low, please in the chat room let us know. Okay, let's get all the uh, you know all the uh, all the musts out. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. TorahResource uh, is a wonderful place to find all sorts of free articles, all sorts of... Uh, actually, we should we should plug this, too, after I'm done with this. Uh, all, all, there's going to be videos, all sorts of stuff that you can find on TorahResource. And you can uh, you can take classes at TorahResource Institute. Also, uh, for those who might not know, we have a radio station, which you should be listening to right now, trradio.com. At our programming desk is Gary Springer. However, he is out of the chat room today, which he told me he was going to be. And running our chat room and all of our web stuff is Amog Randall, who is still in Florida, by the way. Congratulations. I think he's coming home tomorrow. So. Yeah, I saw some cool pictures that Mark posted. Yeah, that's uh, right. It's like, wow, that looks warm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I should mention this. Those who might not know, and, and I, I said this the other day. Though uh, I, I put something out the other day on my Facebook page and whatnot, and we're going to be posting these on, we're going to be posting Rob's on on the Rob and Caleb Show Facebook page. So if you're not a, a fan of our Facebook page, find us on 
uh, Facebook. Is it the? I think it's the. So it's Facebook.com, the Robin, backslash the Robin Caleb show. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just, I just saved it as a link. So I just, I just pop it. There you go. Um, but anyway, what's going on is, is I convinced the teachers when I say that, and not all the teachers actually, but three of the teachers, my father, Tim Hag, uh, Gary Springer, our programmer on this show. And then, uh, and then Rob Van Hoff to do a weekly devotional. And these are going to be a lot of fun because each teacher is going to have a, is going to be a different flavor and a different theme. So for instance, uh, Gary Springer, I already, and I'm hosting it on my YouTube page. And then there's actually a page on TorahResource.com under the community tab. If you just hover over the community tab, you can go down to daily devotionals, click on that. And then we're still kind of setting up the page, but you can, you can go there right now and check it out. And uh, Gary's is already up there. And uh, so Gary's Gary is going through the Psalms and he's using the book, The Cry of the Soul. Um, and so he's kind of doing like a book review slash study in Psalms. Each one of these devotionals is under 10 minutes long. Okay, so it's like your daily dose of, of Bible. Okay, so uh, Mondays is Gary. Wednesdays is going to be my dad, Tim Hag, And then Fridays is going to be Rob Van Hoff. And so on Fridays, I will post... Rob's video onto the Rob and Caleb show Facebook page. So you won't even have to go searching for it. You can find it right there. And uh, Rob, I just received Rob's first video. It's going to be fun. He's going to be doing some comparison in verses, maybe a little bit of dumpster diving, internet dumpster diving that is. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, I'm not doing one, but three times a week, you will be able to find on tourresource.com under, you know, under that, on that page, the daily devotional page. You will be able to find what is going on. You'll be sure we'll zip. Yeah, you'll be able to find those daily devotionals. I'm excited for it. Are you excited? I think it's awesome. I, I hope that people <laughs> actually reply to my requests for like Bible verses and things. But yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, and actually, the people who are on uh, who like the Robin Caleb show help Rob out because he's asking for verses to send verses from the Apostolic Scriptures that he can compare. And uh, basically, yeah, but my initial set will be, uh, yeah, I'm getting a weird sound. Yeah, I'm, I know. I don't. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm basically I've got a website that I'm you're basically seeing my screen and we go to a website that has a bunch of Hebrew, different Hebrew translations of the apostolic scriptures. And what I'll be doing is uh, showing people kind of how to navigate that website. I just learned of this website myself. And uh, if they have particular verses, they want me to discuss, and they want to look at the different way it's been rendered into Hebrew, um, That's I, I want to spend a, uh, as much time doing that as people have verses for. But uh, Yeah, so it's time for uh, Rob's Gematria, which is, uh, today is show what? one o. Brought to you by the number 107. 107. Hang on just a sec. Let's cue theme music. It's Rob's Gematria. Go for it. Today's number is 107, show 107. And I have four Hebrew phrases, I think, that uh, might be uh, some sort of a sign for us as to how the tone of our show will go today. The first is Magen David, the shield of David. Ah, the shield of David, yes. Yeah, without the Yod. So it's David, Dalit, Vav, Dalit. And then Mila Tova, which is a good word. 
B'nai Adam, sons of Adam. And yes. we're going to talk about B'nai Noah. So uh, anyway, B'nai Adam. And then my, my favorite maybe is Koach HaChayim, the, the power of life, the strength of life. All right. So That's the strength what... of our life for those who are disciples, uh, born again, new creations in Messiah Yeshua. He is our strength and our song. So I like that one too. So I think uh, we, we should go. have some kind of a disclaimer for our uh, gematria because if if the intro music doesn't <laughs> embed the, the the disclaimer, then I don't know what will. <laughs> okay, um, enough playing around. Let's get to it. Let's get to the meat of it. Um, oh, wait a minute! What? Wait a minute! We have an insight, another mystical insight from one of our <laughs> listeners, Mr. Adam S. From the state of MT, he says, "Show 107 will air on TR Radio on January 7th, 107." Ooh, <laughs> that changed everything. Oh, oh man, I wonder if like what, what's going to happen. I don't know. I'm the ready. The stock to, market will crash. I, I, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. <laughs> so I'm, ready. I'm ready. How much money do you want? <laughs> uh, okay, so here we go. Let's get to the meat of it. Uh, so the show today, uh, let's, uh, yeah, uh, about what, uh, December 3rd, I think it was. All of a sudden, my Facebook, my personal Facebook feed just blew up. And I'm not just talking about people like my Christian friends or anything. I'm talking about like people in my community, people uh, that are good friends of mine who are one Torah, theologically sound, Okay. Oh, the rapture is going to happen tomorrow because <laughs> our because our show is one of okay. Anyway, and this is why this is why my Facebook feed blew up. And I in your show notes, I put in a bunch of different links. This from uh, this well, this from the Vatican Vatican Radio. It says for the first time since the Second Vatican Council changed Christian teachings towards Judaism and the Jewish people fifty years ago. A group of Orthodox rabbis have issued a public statement advocating partnership with Christians and appreciating the religious value of Christianity. Now, a little bit of background for you. The Second Vatican Council, 50 years ago, came out and said, look, anti-Semitism is not cool. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they said, right? You can't hate the Jewish people. Just because they deny Christ, you can't hate those people. It's, you're not allowed to hate the Jewish people. So they basically uh, tried to stomp out anti-Semitism uh, in general, okay? And this is seen now uh, as somewhat of a response to that. 50 years later, the, the Orthodox Jews are trying to respond uh, in kind with an olive branch, okay? And this is, uh, I'm going to go on with this article for just a second. It says, published on December 3rd on the website of the Center for Jewish Christian Understanding and Cooperation, also known as the CJCUC in Israel. Quote, to do the will of our Father in heaven toward a partnership between Jews and Christians is signed by over 25 prominent Orthodox rabbis in Israel, the United States, and Europe, and calls for cooperation between Jews and Christians to address the moral and religious challenges of our times. The, pro, uh, the proclamation's authors are inviting fellow Orthodox rabbis to join in signing the statement. Okay, so 
This comes out on December 3rd, and it's like it's like people lost their mind. They were so happy. Like, we finally did it. The Orthodox Jews finally think that, uh, that Christianity is this great thing. Now, I actually have the CJCUCs. I don't know why I like saying that, because there's so many Cs in it. I actually have their entire statement. Okay, it's called to do the will of our Father in heaven toward a partnership between Jews and Christians. And I'm going to read part of this. Um, and I'm trying to, hang on, let me get to my show notes here, as did Maimonides. Okay, so I'm going to read the beginning of this. And then, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop and, and kind of move. Okay. After nearly two millennia of mutual hostility and alienation, we Orthodox rabbis who lead communities institutions and seminaries in Israel, the United States, and Europe recognize the historic opportunity now before us. We seek to do the will of our Father in heaven by accepting the hand offered to us by our Christian brothers and sisters. Jews are Christians. Uh, Jews and Christians must work together as partners to address the moral challenges of our era. So this sounds good, right? This sounds amazing, but of course, in, in true Robin Caleb show fashion, I'm going to suggest to you that I don't like this. Not only do I not like this, I don't understand why all of my friends, why people in my community, why people who uh, I hold in high regard as, as people who think well, uh, have, have found this to be such a wonderful thing. Now, if you're, if you're in the chat room, if you're listening to this, if you're on YouTube and you shared this on your Facebook page, that's fine. Just tell me why. Okay, uh, number three on this list, and jump in here anytime, Rob. But number three well, on you're, we're on the we're on the December third, two thousand fifteen. I got the, the pulled the website up. There's seven core uh, segments. That's right, correct. Yes, this. and um, yeah. So go, you go, go ahead and throw out what you want to talk about, and we'll just we'll discuss it. Because okay. I might want to go back to like one or two, number one or number two. Do you want to read number one, two, and then into three? Because number three is where we get to the heart of my issue. But uh, let's just go. Okay, from... yeah, well, let's take one by one. So if, if you're listening now, pull up the website from the show notes, cjcuc.com. .com. It's called the Orthodox Rabbinic Statement on Christianity. That, um, in a way, we're getting into the area of what we call heresiology. What we're defining what is orthodox and what is not, and this statement is not is simultaneously asserting an authority of a, a collection of Jewish rabbis um, to make such a statement, but they're also defining what is acceptable quote Christianity, right? And so this is we're getting into we're dealing with duplo legos here, right? <laughs> to to use that old. I think we have that up on, uh, I think Rob Roy has that on Messianic Publications, if you want to read that. Just, it's just a simple analogy of the Duplo Lego. What they're doing is we're asserting a certain kind of Duplo Lego, which ends up being really the Catholic Church. Uh, and that's and, the, okay, and, and you're jumping ahead now. But that's, okay, sorry, well, let's go here. So number one, the Shoah ended 70 years ago. It was the warped climax to centuries of disrespect, oppression, and rejection of Jews and the consequent enmity that developed between Jews and Christians. In retrospect, it is clear that the failure to break through this contempt and in, engage in constructive dialogue for the good of humankind weakened resistance to evil forces of anti-Semitism 
that engulfed the world in murder and genocide. Okay, the Shoah was horrific. No question about it. No question about it. But I think that not this first statement here makes it look uh, like the Shoah was a result of uh, uh, enmity between Jews and Christians. And I think that's, that's oversimplistic. That's way too simplistic. A, there were Christians that were uh, saving Jews, risking their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust, and there were Christians that were uh, most certainly killed uh, in the Holocaust. Not yeah, the, for, those, for those who don't know, the Shoah is, uh, is the way that right. you say Holocaust. Right, Shoah means the fire, basically. They, uh, they're not going to use the word Holocaust because Holocaust has, it means burnt offering. And so when, when you, it's the Greek word for the olah, for the burnt offering. Um, but there were also many, many more millions of people murdered in the same time period besides just the Jews, right? So to, to, to reflect on the Shoah as a, as a horrific catastrophe, catastrophe that stems primarily from uh, enmity between Jews and Christians is, a, is skewing the picture to, to aim the reader in a direction I think that is not helpful um, I don't, I don't, yes, there were evil forces in the world. I'm not, I'm not disputing with that. Um, and, but we need to really clarify, um, you know, and there was, there's people in mess, what they call Messianic Judaism who have published books saying that the, the, the Holocaust, the horrors of the Holocaust need to, are rightly laid at the step of the, of the church and things like that. And that's just, that's again. That's that Duplo Legos picture. It's uh, there's so much more to it than that. Well, not only so that, but, you, but, you, but even okay. Let's even talk about Catholicism. What was going on with the current Pope during the time of the beginning of the Holocaust? His resistance towards the towards Nazi Germany and all those kind of things play into this. I, granted, I'm not. I am not by any stretch of the imagination trying to say that the Pope at the time was right by right to finally cave to uh, Nazi Germany uh, and to, uh, you know, even unwillingly go along with, uh, with what was happening uh, in the Holocaust. I'm not suggesting, I'm not trying to give a pass in any way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, is that there was resistance from the Catholic Church, even from the Pope in the beginning. Now, that switched Okay, that changed over time, but uh, there was resistance from from the Catholic Church, and I'm not, you know, I'm not defending the Catholic Church here. In fact, quite the opposite in terms of of this uh, this document that, that has been made now. But what I'm saying is is that we can't just say, oh, the Catholic Church is, you know, you want to take Christianity out of it, okay, fine. But certainly, the Catholic Church, a sect of of uh, Christianity, was responsible. Or had a major hand in the Holocaust. No, I, I would still reject that. Uh, were there Catholics who went along with the, with the Holocaust? Sure, there were Lutherans. There were, I mean, there were all sorts of different people that went along with the Holocaust. Um, so, it, but that doesn't mean that that uh, I, I'm with you, Rob. I I, I reject the idea that uh, the Holocaust was, uh, you know, a Christian, uh, it, the responsibility of the Christians. You know, that they, that they so perform the Holocaust. That's just a, a quibble with the first statement. The second one, I'll read the second and then Caleb for the third, you can take that one over. Okay. Uh, number two, we recognize that since the Second Vatican Council, the official teachings of the Catholic Church about Judaism 
have changed fundamentally and irrevocably. Okay, hang on right there. That's the point, okay? We've all of, now, what this document, what the CJCUC has done now, is they have labeled, they have compartmentalized. Branded. They're, brand, they're creating brands. Yeah, for Christianity. It's no longer, now we see, you know, Christianity falls under this thing that recognizes the Second Vatican Council. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. Yeah. And, and it, it says, uh, yeah, we have, on one hand, we have the Catholic Church, capital C, capital C, and the other, we have capital J, Judaism. And that's... Which these, these the, 25 rabbis now represent. Yeah, this is the map of the world that is being asserted, like laid out on a table for us to use as we navigate reality. Um, it goes on, it says, the, the promulgation of Nostra Etate, which is mean in our time, that's the name of, our, of that statement from the Second Vatican Council, 50 years ago, shared the process of reconciliation, or started the process of reconciliation between our two communities. There you go. So there's just two communities involved here, Catholic Church, Judaism. And, and actually, I should say, you know, I want to preface this because I can already hear people yelling back at us. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with, with Orthodox Jews trying to reconcile, uh, you know, or have good relationship with with, well, not at all. with Christianity not at all. or Catholicism even or anything like not that. That's not what not I'm saying. And, and that's not the problem I have with this. Okay, keep going. Anyway, okay, so Nostra um, Etate and later official church documents, it inspired unequivocally reject any form of anti-Semitism, affirm the eternal covenant between God and the Jewish people, reject deicide, and stress the unique relationship between Christians and Jews who were called, quote, our elder brothers, by Pope John Paul II, and, quote, our fathers in faith, by Pope Benedict XVI. On this basis, Catholics and other Christian officials started an honest dialogue with Jews that has grown during the last five decades. We appreciate the Church's affirmation of Israel's unique place in sacred history and the ultimate world redemption. Today, Jews have experienced sincere love and respect for many Christians that have been expressed in many dialogue initiatives, meetings, and conferences around the world. Okay, so... Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, just some notes on this. Um, uh, this idea of deicide, that's the idea that accusation that Jews killed Christ, basically. Um, and the, our elder brothers is interesting uh, because the Midrash is that the Christian church, the Catholic church is Esau and Judaism is Jacob. Well, Esau is the older brother. And this was a point made by Daniel Boyarin and um, Israel Yuval in their arguments about the difficulty with the rabbinic midrash that wants to say the Roman church is Esau, because the problem with, and then to use Jacob and Esau narratives from Genesis and in the prophets as a way of understanding, a framework for understanding the relationship between the Jewish people, that is Jacob, and Esau, that is the the Christian or, quote, Catholic Roman Church. Um, because Esau is the older brother in that, in that biblical model. If you're going to use that as the map, then why would Jacob be considered the older brother? Uh, and some of those Jewish scholars, like Boyarin and Yuval, have suggested it's because the rabbis know that their religion that they're inventing is, in fact, newer than the faith uh, based in Messiah Yeshua. So now that's, that's a little you know, footnote on this issue. But um, 
what what happens here again? Who's wiped? Who who has no place on the on the bus here? If we're looking at a bus and one side is the is the Jewish people, the other side is the Catholic Church. Where are the Jews who believe in Yeshua? Where do they sit on the where's bus? Where's evangelical Christianity? Yeah, where's the Protestant? Yeah, see, Protestants are done away with. Jewish believers in Yeshua are are taken out of the picture. It's you're you're either this or you're that. Yeah, and this is the map that a lot in the Messianic Jewish world are have adopted. They've swallowed it. And we're, I think later, if we have time, we're going to talk a little bit about the seven laws of Noah and the versus the six hundred thirteen laws. It's it's the same map. These maps lay over each other very nicely because they affirm the Talmudic worldview, and in so doing, it eliminates all the claims in the apostolic writings, or it tries to undermine, it doesn't literally eliminate, but it tries to undermine the claim to say, Abraham is my father, even though I'm Gentile by birth. Rather, I'm told to go to the sons of Noah section to sit down. Or I, or I can convert, or I can convert, right? Uh, your section uh, is over there, sir. Yeah, so in other words, we, we're, we're creating a, a map, and you know, many in our, we know, we've seen from Dr. Mark Kinzer's work, Oh, I got, I think, hang on, wait, I, I got you now. I think at First Fruits Design, I think other of these groups get into this issue of, a, of thinking along the same dichotomy. It's a, and it's a false dichotomy. We at Tor Resource are going to continually, to sound the trumpet or the shofar, that this is a, a false dichotomy and there's a wall that needs to, to be taken down here. Uh, but anyway. Caleb, there. Number three is all yours, buddy. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and and uh, I'm yeah, okay. Uh, as did Maimonides and Yehuda Halevi, we acknowledge that Christianity is neither an accident nor an error, but the willed divine outcome and gift to the nations. In separating Judaism and Christianity, God willed a separation between partners with significant theological differences, not a separation between enemies. Rabbi Jacob Emden wrote that Jesus, quote, Jesus brought a double goodness to the world. On the one hand, uh, he strengthened the Torah of Moses majestically, and not one of our sages spoke out more emphatically concerning the immutability of the Torah. On the other hand, he removed idols from the nations and obligated them in the seven commandments of Noah so that they would not believe like animals behave. of the uh, behave like animals of the field and instilled them firmly with moral traits christians are con uh, are congregations that work for the sake of heaven who are destined to endure uh, whose intent is for the sake of heaven and whose reward will not de be, uh, be denied. Rabbi Samson, uh, end quote, sorry. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch taught us that Christians, quote, have accepted the Jewish Bible of the Old Testament as a book of divine revelation. They profess their belief in the God of heaven and earth and proclaim in the Bible, and uh, they acknowledge the sovereignty of divine providence, end quote. Now that the Catholic Church has acknowledged the eternal covenant between God and Israel. We Jews can acknowledge the ongoing constructive validity of Christianity as our partner in world redemption without any fear that this will be exploited for missionary purposes. As stated by the chief rabbinate of Israel bilateral commission with the Holy See, Holy See, that's capital S-E-E, -E, under the leadership of Rabbi Shir Yeshuv Cohen, quote, we, no longer, we are no longer enemies, but unequivocal partners in art articulating the essential moral values for the survival and welfare of humanity, and quote, neither of us can achieve God's mission in this world alone. Okay. Okay, so one thing I have to say. 
the word mission is used twice here. Yeah. It's used as uh, that this relationship, this partnership between Jews and Christians, uh, that it, there's no fear that it will be exploited for missionary purposes. But there is, but God does have a mission that needs to be achieved through the co-laboring of Jews and Christians hand by hand, hand in hand. Okay, so what is it very interesting about this? Now, Rob, uh, Rob just mentioned uh, Mark Kinzer. Okay, now I've I went to a session at the at the uh, SBL by Kinzer uh, that Kinzer was in. Uh, you know, he basically is uh, a bigwig in the UMJC. Him and Rudolph both. Now, Rudolph, once again, I've said this so many times on this show, but every time I got to say it again, Rudolph is just a sweetheart. Him and I disagree adamantly on some very core issues. However, I love seeing that guy. He's such a nice guy. Okay. Kinzer just wrote this book, Searching Her Own Mystery. One of the reasons that this whole thing is very, uh, very, con not concerning, but I don't know, vexing to me, I guess. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, just because people shared it doesn't mean that they agree with it. You know, it's an interesting thing that has happened here in this statement. Uh, by these Orthodox Jews. But one thing that's happening within Messianic Judaism, quote Messianic Judaism, whatever brand you want to call that, uh, and maybe I should be, just be more specific. One thing that's happening within the UMJC, the MJAA, the IAMCS, is Kinzer is, is pushing this new ideology. And that is this. The Jews were given the Torah. You have the Torah with all of its Jewish attributes, Things that were given to ethnic Israel, ethnic descendants from, from Jacob. These are things like kosher, the Sabbath, the festivals, zitzit, mezuzahs. These things, in his mind, this is not me, obviously, but in his mind, these things are identity markers for Jews, for ethnic Israel. And when I say ethnic, I mean descended from Jacob, Israel, okay? The other Israel, those who are grafted in, the Gentiles, those things, according to Kinzer, are not for the uh, non-ethnic Israel, uh, but, are, uh, but they're reserved for ethnic Israel. So these Gentiles, they come to a faith in the Messiah. Now, according to Kinzer, are they part of the same house? Yes, they are. Are they part of the same saving grace of the, of, of the Messiah Yeshua? Yes, they are. Is Abraham their father? Yes. But it's kind of like being adopted into a house, and the house is a duplex. You have your naturally born people on the top level, okay, closer to God. They have the bloodline. We're going to put them on the top level of the, of the duplex, okay? And then on the bottom floor of the duplex is going to be your grafted-in Gentiles, so what does Kinzer argue in this book? He argues that uh, that <laughs> he argues that the Catholic Church, not Protestant, not evangelical, the Catholic Church is God's plan for the Gentiles. So the Jews and the Messianic Jews, you get the Torah, you get the synagogue. You get all this kind of stuff. And then the Gentiles, you need to be in the Catholic Church. Right. Protestantism is not, off the table. Yeah, any not. reform, reform theological understanding, any any 
reform criticisms of Catholicism are wiped off the table. No criticisms of the Catholic Church. No, because it's God-sanctioned. For, in for idolatry, eyes. for example, or anything like that. Listen to this quote. Thank you, Gary Springer, for, uh, for directing me to this quote. This is on page 175 of his book, Searching Her Own Mystery, uh, yeah, by Mark Kinzer, 175. In such an uh, ecclesiology of mutual indwelling, Jewish disciples of Jesus play a unique role. If we, embrace, if we embrace our Jewishness as a spiritual vocation, identify with the Jewish people as well as the ecclesia, and seek to live a distinctively Jewish mode of discipleship informed by Jewish religious tradition, then we become a sacramental sign of the spiritual bond joining the ecclesia to genealogical Israel. We become like the holders of the Episcopal office in Catholic teaching, contemporary representatives and embodiments of the Jewish apostles and the apostolic ecclesia, just as those apostles and their fellow Jewish disciples of Jesus were themselves representatives they, they of embodiments. They want to create a Catholic Messianic Judaism. That is exactly right. They want to be. They want to set up their own popes and their own. Uh, what are the other cardinals? And they're just going to label them something different. But they're saying we are the embodiment of the Holy Jewish Church, and we are the rabbis. We are the rabbis. We of the bridge Holy the gap. Church. They're saying that yeah. they bridge the gap between yeah. Catholicism and Judaism. Exactly. exactly. And the word embody. We embody the apostolic. Catholic Jewish Church. Well, Basically, that's the, what Kinzer wants to assert. Here's the and other by thing. doing that, he's he's saying, "Look, we want to seat at the table. We want to seat at the same table that the Catholic uh, hierarchy has, that the Orthodox Jewish hierarchy has, and we want to be recognized to sit at the same table." I think that Kinzer wants to be recognized within, and he said this at the at the lecture that I went to. He wants to be recognized by the Orthodox Jews. As a sect of Judaism. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Never going to happen. That's what but, the, see, he, he, that's, but he doesn't realize, I think that hasn't, he's still, he's stuck in a way of looking at the world that is preventing him. And I, I in my view, of course, I'm, I could, I'm blind to a lot of things. I think he's literally blinded to seeing this aspect of, of his theology. The language is so highfalutin, uh, uh it's this just a strange kind of discussion, very Catholic sounding. Can, what, hey, look, Kinzer has missed the mark on atonement and salvation. That might sound extremely harsh. However, for Kinzer to say that the Gentiles have been destined to be a part of the Catholic Church, there are significant theological implications that are made by that. Okay? Number one. So just within, Gent with, within Gentiles and the idea of soteriology, how God saves us, to say that we need to be part of the Catholic Church, right there, there are huge problems. The other thing that, that Kinzer teaches, and this keep in mind, this guy is like a high up in the UMJC. The other thing that Kinzer teaches is that the Jews who don't believe in the Messiah Yeshua, they, they might reject Yeshua, but they believe in a coming Messiah who will, who will save them. And God, since they're God's chosen people, God sees that as a belief in the Messiah, the coming Messiah, and reckons that as a belief in Yeshua. This is how Kinzer basically, you know, the question of uh, were, were the Jews who died in the Holocaust, were they saved? 
Kinzer's going to say, yes, they were saved, even if they didn't believe in Jesus because they were Jewish and they believed in a coming Messiah. Therefore, they believed in the Messiah and thus they were saved. It's, it's quite a leap. And so uh, the idea of soteriology, how God saves people, uh, is, is kind of, it's not kind of, it's totally messed up uh, for Jew and Gentile. But yeah. according to Kinzer, that is, I'm not trying to lump all of the UMJC and all of the people within the UMJC as believing this. I'm just saying that this person, Mark Kinzer, who is a prominent teacher within the UMJC, has a convoluted idea built in, right, built into this is also Kinzer's idea of post-missionary. Yes. And what, what this means is, like this last statement here at the end of number three, as stated by the chief rabbinate of Israel's bilateral commission with the Holy See, under the, that is partnership with the Catholic Church, which under, I think, under with, the leadership of Rabbi Shir Yashuv Kohen, we are no longer em, enemies. What this is, this is a shield that says, you will no longer tell us Part of the agreement here is that you're not going to tell us that Yeshua is the Messiah, that we need to have new life in Yeshua to have eternal life. You're going to stop beating that drum. Otherwise, this commission is over. You see what I mean? That's, that's the undercurrent here, is that you're going to be good Christians, we're going to be good Jews, we're going to keep that separate, and you Christians aren't going to tell us that we need Yeshua for salvation. Oh, because if you do, you're going to be kicked off the bus. <laughs> okay, so the other thing that I wanted to touch on here is, uh, you know, they bring up the, uh, you know, uh, the Noachide laws. Uh, where was that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, the, uh, he quotes uh, Rabbi Jacob Emden from the 1700s. Yeah. The, the, wrote, on the on the other hand, he removed idols from the nations and obligated them in the seven commandments of Noah, so that they would not behave like animals of the field. This okay. And they, they mentioned there's this. A, there's a whole book on this. <laughs> there, there is. Uh, later on in this document, they uh, once again talk about the seven laws of Noah. This right here stakes a theological claim to not only push out anyone who might believe in one Torah theology, which uh, is not on their mind. I know that that's not on their, they're, they're not thinking yeah, of one Torah. They're not interested. We're not on their radar. Um, but what it does is it actually pigeonholes Christianity as well, including the Catholic Church, which to me is surprising. And this is one reason that I was so somewhat surprised that all of, uh, you know, even Dr. Michael Brown, who I respect, and, and a lot of my friends, you know, I had people send this to me, uh, send me these articles uh, in email and on Facebook, which I just thought was interesting because people who hold to one Torah theology, to say that the seven Noahide laws, and even people who hold to Christianity, if you hold to Christianity, let's say that you hold to evangelical Christianity. Let's say you're a Baptist or a Lutheran. If you're a Baptist or a Lutheran, are you telling me that you really only believe that there are seven laws that God has retained within the apostolic scriptures? No. I, I don't know of one, uh, you know, and not only that, but this, but this sets up salvation by works. If the, if the Gentiles keep these seven laws, then guess what? They're saved, right? 
Um, what are these seven laws? Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, this is a quote from Avodah Zarah 8.4 concerning seven requirements. Uh, by the way, these are super late. Okay, I think my father argues that the earliest attestation that we have of any kind of uh, any kind of seven laws of Noah for the Gentiles is first mentioned in the third century A.D. and uh, that they and he also argues that nowhere in those references does it say that the Gentiles will be saved if they keep these laws. Okay, uh, so this is from the Tosefta Avodah eight four concerning seven requirements were the children of Noah admonished setting up courts of justice, idolatry, blasphemy, fornication, bloodshed, thievery, and a limb torn from a living animal. Okay, and this list, uh, you can read my father's, in, in your show notes, you can uh, find my father's uh, article, that, what, that he, uh, his paper that he read at the ETS on the seven Noahite laws. It's called, Do the Seven Go to Heaven? Uh, he gives you an extensive amount of uh, rabbinical literature talking about the Noahide laws and what they were, how they were formed. The list is never the, is not the same in all the documents. Okay, it shifts from rabbi to rabbi. The number it, it wasn't first seven. It wasn't uh, you know it shifted. Some had four or uh, five. Some had ten. Uh, so on and so forth. Uh, and so basically. In Sanhedrin 13.2, and these are the two quotes that I put in our show notes. We have Rabbi Eliezer says, uh, this is uh, Sanhedrin 13.2, None of the Gentiles has a portion in the world to come. As it is said, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the Gentiles who forget God. The wicked shall return to Sheol, these are the wicked Israelites, said uh, to him Rabbi Joshua. So right now he's saying, no, no Gentile can, can make it in. If it had been written, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the Gentiles, and then said nothing further, I should have maintained as you do. Now that it is, uh, in fact, written, all the Gentiles who, who forget God, it indicates that there are also, uh, that there also are righteous people among the nations of the world who do have a portion in the world to come. So in other words, what he's saying is, okay, yeah, there are some Gentiles. There are some Gentiles who make it in. And then the question obviously has to be, how do they get in? And what's the answer? The answer is, from the rabbis, the answer is, well, there's these seven laws. So let me, so, so now what we're saying for, for Messianic Jews, for Christians uh, who are not Catholic, okay, even for the Catholics, what, what these rabbis have now said in this document is, look, you want to get to heaven? We got a way for you. Our rabbis set it up for you. God set it up for you. You have to do salvation by works, and it's these seven works. Who cares about uh, lying? Who cares about slander? Who cares about any of these things? Doesn't matter. You can do those. We expect you to do those because you act like animals of the field. Okay. Oh, and by the way, don't do Shabbat because when a Gentile keeps a Shabbat, he's liable to the death penalty. That that's exactly. transgression. So and there's there's other. There's a lot wrapped into this. Yeah. If you buy into the, the 613 versus the 7, there's uh, a map there that we need to recognize, like Caleb, like you're pointing out in, in the article that Tim Haig, your, your dad, wrote, um, that explains this. He goes in to show how this was, a this was not something that was in the air in Yeshua's day. This took a long time of development. Um, it's a post-Christian, if you want to say it's the post-emergence of the, the, uh, the apostles preaching the gospel throughout the world. It's 
coming after that was already uh, uh, being spread, the gospel being spread in Israel and, and out to the nations. So it's in the wake of the preaching of the gospel. And so we have to realize that rabbinic efforts to try to tell a story that it's older than what it is, we need to recognize that as disingenuous. And that's an that's a attempt to skew the scales. And we need to protect against that. Um, just as we don't want to uh, be the people who are tipping the scales. And we're not, how are we going to benefit Messiah's kingdom if we're acting decept- deceitfully, right? So in the same way, we're going to not let somebody else do the same thing. And so this idea of a Torah that goes, an oral Torah that goes all the way back to Moses at Mount Sinai, that the rabbis preserve throughout every generation, um, is that's what we call a myth. <laughs> it's a myth of origin. It's a story they tell about their traditions to give it legitimation. No different than in the, uh, in the Catholic Church. Well, actually not, I don't know so much, as, even in the Orthodox, because we have Orthodox Christianity. I know that there's uh, some friends of ours who converted to Orthodox Christianity, uh, uh, shared with me a website of, a, of, I think one of the guys that influenced him was a Jew, a, a Jew who had, originally he's a Jew and now he's like a father in the Orthodox Christ, Eastern Orthodox Church. He read the Orthodox Christian stories about how they hold the true oral teaching of Yeshua. They, they, they keep the true way to understand the apostolic writings. And apart from their authority, you're going you're gonna to misunderstand it. It's the same story. It's the same story. You just changed the name. The names have been changed, you know, but it's the same picture. It's that we have the, we're the in-group. Uh, you need to do things our way, according to our tradition, in order to be recognized as acceptable. And this is what Paul is... This is what's being destroyed. These are the walls that are being destroyed by the gospel. We're mandated by our Master, our Savior, Yeshua, is to discern between traditions of men and the Word of God. That's where that's the power of the Reformation, right? And what's happening here when we see the building up of these two institutions, Orthodox Judaism and uh, the Catholic Church, and then this other group trying to get the seat at the table, we are, an, we are the institution that bridges these two. They're all building on the wrong map, according to the wrong map. Uh, it's, it, it is attempting to silence the prophetic voice that is the core of the Reformation. Well, th- there's, more to, there's more to it than just that, too. And, and look, I'm not saying that if you shared this, you've done something wrong or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that, uh, you know, and once again, I think that the the want to try to reconcile differences between the Catholic Church and, uh, you know, big C, you know, capital C, capital C, Catholic Church and Orthodox Judaism, I think that that's a worthy thing. I don't have a problem with that. And uh, I think it's interesting that the Catholic Church has accepted this, though. They've accepted, does the, is the Catholic Church really going to say, yes, we believe that seven laws save you? Now, uh, granted, the, the Catholic Church seems to teach a salvation by works, but the works are not necessarily the seven laws of, the, uh, of Noah. So it surprises me that the... the oh, right. Well, here's, here's another issue. They quote Maimonides, right, in, in one of these. Well, if you go to Maimonides, to his laws of uh, kings, and uh, the Holocaust of kings, he talks about the Gentiles 
um, it says they are not per- they are not permitted to innovate religion, dat, which means to innovate religion or to do commandments according to their own knowledge. Um, that, in other words, they and if they do so, like if they do keep the Sabbath or innovate any matter, that they are liable for punishment. So, so this idea of innovating religion, well, how how do you explain the difference between the seven laws of Noah, as they are codified in the Babylonian Talmud, with the Catholic Church, and you see all the things that have been added, you know, all the things that are way beyond that, it's problematic. So these Orthodox Jewish rabbis themselves are being selective with their own tradition. Of course. Uh, you know, in order to make this happen. I, I bet we could, for every one of these rabbis, we could probably find... 10 more that are totally anti this statement. So what? that's the other thing. We don't want to take for granted or presuppose that this represents a monolith. Oh, look what Orthodox Judaism is doing now. Yeah, They're finally recognizing that Yeshua has uh, some kind of uh, uh, kosher voice in the world for the Gentiles. You know, that's, that's what the headline sounds like. But when we look underneath we need to really be careful here. Okay, so there's other issues that we have to look at with the Noahide laws. I'm not suggesting that uh, these rabbis are the only people who have brought the Noahide laws into theological matters. In fact, I would say that Christianity, the ma- I got to be very careful. Uh, the ma- uh, hmm, a significant amount. There we go. A significant amount of evangelical Christian scholars, as well as uh, Protestant scholars, and uh, so on and so forth, uh, have actually taken up the uh, the Noahide laws, and uh, it is a very prominent view. Now, I'm not saying that they believe that the Noahide laws, in some way, save you, as does the uh, Orthodox J- Jewish view. At, at least, as it seems to me that the Orthodox Jewish view has taken that if the Gentiles keep these seven laws, all of a sudden they're they they have a place in the world to come. Rather, it seems that that a lot of uh, evangelical scholars have taken up the position that God sanctifies. Okay, so justified through faith alone, but God sanctifi- God's sanctification somehow comes through the Noahite laws. And uh, last week while Rob was gone, I had Dr. Craig Keener on. I referenced his his massive uh, work on the book of Acts. Um, those who are in the chat room right now, you can't see this. This is just one volume, um, <laughs> one of four volumes. This volume right here, just to give you an idea, is over a thousand pages. It's huge, okay? And he talks about Acts 15 in this volume. And he takes the position that Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council and the four laws that are given to the Gentiles are, in fact, the, uh, a version, an early version of the Noahide laws. He is not the only scholar to take this view. In fact, this is probably one of the most prominent views on Acts 15. Listen to what he says about the Noahide laws here. And this is just an excerpt. I'm not going to read this whole thing, obviously. Oh, come on, Caleb. We have time for a thousand. <laughs> this this section is, is ginormous in and of itself. He says, uh, now he's giving four different views of uh, from scholars, scholarly views 
on what these four laws in Acts 15 could be, okay? And this is the fourth the fourth uh, option that he gives, and it's the one that he rests on. So this is the, the view that he takes. Now, my father challenged him a little bit in the book. To, we were walking in the book display, as I said last week, uh, and we saw Dr. Keener. My father actually challenged him a little bit on his view of the Noahide laws. He says, quote, this is on page two, uh, 2,263, uh, and the, the, the volumes go continuously in page number, okay? So uh, the first volume is like 1 through 1,003, and then volume 2 picks up at 1,004 page number. Anyway, so 2263, two, quote, the fourth major proposal for the decree's background is the so-called Noahite Laws. If by Noahide laws we mean the de developed rabbinic form of the idea, naturally the sources are late. So at least he realizes that the, you know Dr. Keener is a is a uh, is a good scholar. He realizes the date of the rabbinic literature is quite late. But I'm going to go on. But if we consider the range of early Jewish traditions concerning what God required of Gentiles, non-Jewish descendants of Noah. A core of relevant material is available. Later rabbis normally held Gentiles responsible of uh, for, not for keeping laws given only to Israel. See, now I disagree with that, but for keeping the few requirements that God had given to all humanity, namely laws given up to the na uh, to uh, to the time of Noah, from whom all people were descended. These laws appear fairly often in rabbinical sources. Okay, so he then he's going to go on and take the Noahide laws as as the way that God sanctified. And obviously what's the end of that? What's the end of that view? That Gentiles only have to to be sanctified, Gentiles only have to keep four laws. Does Christianity does does modern Christianity any form? I don't you can lump any kind of Christianity in there. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, uh Seventh-day Adventist, it doesn't matter. Catholicism. Does any form of Christianity that anyone can can give me, does any one of them believe that there's only four laws that the Gentiles actually have to keep to be sanctified? I would say no. I would say that there is not one sect of modern Christianity out there that says, if you keep the four laws in Acts 15, you're sanctified. Done. No, but so, maybe the church of the four laws. Maybe that's what we need. <laughs> The, my point is this, that even Dr. Keener is going to tell you that, no, that's not the case. Dr. Keener keeps the Sabbath on Saturday. He's not a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay, so anyway, yeah. So uh, well, my, my, that, my, it gets into this idea of what is the yoke, right? When, when Peter, in Act, earlier in Acts 15, Peter talks about this yoke. And they, this yoke, which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. Um, some take that yoke to be the Torah of Moses. Some of those in the Messianic Jewish thing say that it's, it's pointing to Gentiles who, you know, we can't ask Gentiles to keep the Torah because it's, it's difficult enough for us to do it. So why would we ask Gentiles also? Uh, and so these Noahide laws is seen to be given, given as a lighter, I'll tell you what, we know that it's too difficult for you to keep the whole Torah. Therefore, we're just going to give you a few commandments. And, and as in your dad's article, the Do the Seven Go to Heaven article, he points out, and I think he's got a parallel 
statements in uh, the yoke of the law in, or the yoke in Jerusalem, Council of Acts 15 or something like that. There's two articles that are both helpful. I think the do the seven go to heaven is the longer one, and that was the one he presented at ETS many years ago. But uh, point being that the later story among the rabbis is that uh, the Gentiles were given seven, and they weren't even able to carry those, right? And the Jews were given, Israel was given the 613, and, and they have the spiritual strength to do them. Uh, but in fact, that early story is paints a picture of Gentiles aren't even able to keep the seven. So this it is not about a statement of righteousness. It's about, wow, Gentiles, are, you can't save them. There's nothing you can do. They can't be sanctified by commandments. Um, anyway, there's a complicated issue, but yes, definitely the necessary reading. And, it, and it's sad, too bad that uh, Dr. Keener spent all that uh, effort and had all those wonderful resources, but did not engage with uh, your dad's article uh, in his discussion well, of Acts 15. let's be honest. My dad is uh, pretty much a, an unknown in the Christian scholarly circles, right? Uh, he's, you know, in their eyes, he's gone off. Uh, he's gone off on his own path of of this kind of Jewish Christian sure. thing. Uh, so, you know, I I would say that he's not uh, he he's not referenced in in those kind of circles, uh, but perhaps he should be. Um, so, anyway. I, I, Maybe this is a, a total uh, rabbit trail here, but you know, one of the things that I would say about this article is, I was telling my dad today, you know, it seems like all the guys who uh, teach two house theology say that they're not two house. I wonder if that's just because two house theology has become like a bad word almost. Like you're two house, oh, uh, you know. But there, there's a number of guys that I've talked to recently who say I'm not two house. I'm not two house, you know. Even uh, Staley, before he uh, before he had his uh, his troubles, uh, he called uh, up and talked to my father and me for quite some time at one point. And Staley said he was not two house as well. And then he came out with his teaching on two house, and basically, you know, came out as a two houser. And okay, so why do I bring this up? Why why am why am I on this rabbit trail? Okay, because uh, one teacher that I recently talked to said, "I'm not two house. You can't show in my teachings anywhere where I I uh, advocate a two house theology." Okay, and and he's he's probably right. I probably would be hard pressed to find somewhere in his teachings where he advocates a two house theology. However, the company that you keep, the people that you associate with, you know, uh, will will somewhat label you. Right. Uh, You know, if you are not two house, but you're constantly on the teaching circuit with a handful of two house uh, teachers, what are people going to (laughs) think? Smith writes, are they too stick? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Hey, you know what? Think about it. Like Kinzer bilateral ecclesiology or this bilateral commission between Orthodox and church, uh, Catholic church. That's two house. Now, all you're doing is you're just changing it. Well, we're not going to call, it's not Judah or Yehuda and Ephraim. It's not Judah and Ephraim. It's Jacob and Esau. Yeah. But it's, too, it's still two house. You stay in your house. We stay, stay in, in our, our house. house. There's yeah. no room for, you know, you're one or the other. And together, we're going to, like the number seven there, together we are going to uh, remain dedicated hand in hand, uh, playing an active role together in redeeming 
the world. And so the, the whole so re- the redemption of the world, according to these rabbis, these or, these few, several Orthodox rabbis from Israel, the redemption of the world is envisioned as having something to do with very different than the message that you must be born from above. You must be born uh, anew uh, in Messiah's kingdom, you know, through his resurrection life. Um, it's something other than that. So they're casting a vision of redemption of the world that has elbowed out the core assertions of the gospel. Well, and the, here's the other thing is that uh, I guess the reason I bring up the whole uh, guilty by association uh, reference and the two, you know, my story of two house is because uh, if I were going to share this, I don't think that there's anything wrong with sharing articles like this. I, I honestly don't. But if I was going to share this on my Facebook page, I would say interesting that Orthodox, you know, that these Orthodox Jews have uh, are trying to reconcile with Catholicism. However, you know, I would have to, I'd have to, uh, what, what I wouldn't want to happen is for someone, you know, I have a lot of friends on my Facebook page who aren't, uh, aren't believers, who are friends of my wife or family of my wife or friends of mine that I grew up with that are not believers. I wouldn't want people to think, oh, you know, Caleb thinks that this is, uh, you know, that this applies to Caleb because it doesn't, does it? I mean, I would think of Catholicism basically as, uh, you know, it would be like if the Orthodox Jews said we have uh, we have a new uh, we have a new friendship with with uh, Buddha, with the Buddhists. You know, if I shared that, would people think that I was a Buddhist? Probably not. But uh, and that's because Catholic, you know, uh, Protestantism grew out of Catholicism. Okay, I get it. Um, But. You know, I see Catholicism as a religion that is not what is taught in the Bible. Right? Yeah, that's why they both need it. It's like neither rabbinic Orthodox Judaism and Catholicism are biblical, (laughs) are based on biblical theology. So (laughs) they're both like, okay, you build your sandcastle. We'll build our sandcastle. Yeah. We'll we'll protect the water as best we can to for breaking down either one of our sandcastles, and then we'll just play king of the castle, you know. And and you don't come in our territory. And we'll we'll kind of meet halfway at times and talk about how we're going to protect our two castles. Um, then you have the Kinzer group. It's like, well, we want to build. Yeah, a can castle. I play with you guys? <laughs> can I play with you guys? <laughs> the point is, they're all castles made of sand. I mean, that's that's our our one Torah. Uh, hermeneutic demands that we, we we're kind of you know when we assert a, a sola scriptura uh, hermeneutic we have to say hey guys you're both building on sand just so you know you might persecute us you might marginalize us you might say we, we are irrelevant you know but what do you do? You know, before we end this discussion, I want to I want to stress one more time because I can already hear the 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 comments on the on the YouTube uh, page and I can already hear the Facebook comments and everything like that. I want to be very clear. If you share this on your Facebook page, I'm not putting you down. And I and if you you know, if you uh, if you think this is a great thing, that's fine. I'm you know, and I'm not saying that there isn't something great about uh, the Catholics and the and uh, a handful of Orthodox Jews trying to reconcile something. That's that's fine. What I'm suggesting is I don't see this as a great 
step in any direction for me as a believer, for Protestant or evangelical Christianity, for Messianic Judaism, or for uh, one Torah theology. I don't think that I don't think that it does. It affects me in any way, shape, or form. And not that that means that I shouldn't, you know, say this is this is something that is interesting. Okay, that's fine. What I'm saying is is that when we bring in things like Catholicism and the seven Noahide laws into the conversation, this automatically excludes me from the conversation. We're no longer talking about me and my faith. We're talking about what I consider a different religion. Now, my, my, my atheist friends are going to say, no, you all believe in the same God. So this is talking about you. This does relate to you. That's why I want to distance myself or at least give some uh, precursors if I'm going to share something like this and say, this is, I don't believe this. You know, I don't, this is not the theology I hold to. So this doesn't apply to me. This might be interesting and this might be something that I think is newsworthy, but I don't think that it's theologically applicable to me and my life and my faith. That's all I'm saying. So please don't think that I'm downing all my friends who posted this or anything like that. You know, your Facebook page is up to you. You can post what you want on it. Uh, so go for it. Okay. Anything else? Is there anything that you, anything else that you want to talk about, Rob? No, I think we, you know, hopefully we, we represented this document accurately in terms of it's what it's trying to say. And we also hopefully gave a clear, you know, articulation of, our difficulties with it and why we think that people should not take it for uh, uh, as is, as if this is some major movement or step forward. I think uh, if it's a little t tiny step forward in dialogue of Orthodox Jews dealing with, with Christian uh, world, but if it's just Catholics are dealing with, you know, the, sadly they're not hearing the voice of the Reformation. Do you think that the but, criticisms uh, of the Catholic? Okay, let's give let's give a little bit of of. Uh, let me play devil's advocate, or maybe not devil's advocate. Let me play the advocate from the the uh, evangelical Christian. So the Jew, the these Orthodox Jews have recognized Catholicism in some way, shape, or form. Doesn't that open the door for dialogue for Protestant for the Protestants and the evangelicals? Could that be the argument that could be used? No, I, I'll see it, you know, if we, I'll believe it when I see it, I suppose. The fact, well, yeah, and I think the one answer, or the one response that I would have is that the Protestant Reformation and was a huge, and I mean huge, world event that took place. It changed the course of history for the world. Yet, here we are, 600 years later, 500 years later, and the uh, and the Orthodox Jews, quote unquote, at least these twenty five or so Orthodox Jews, still are not dealing with evangelical Protestant Christianity. They're they're still only dealing with the Catholic Church, which means that they have still yet to recognize the historical event that was the Reformation. And I think that's what you were basically saying, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I good topic. Yeah, I think that this was a, a good one. Um, go ahead and write us if you want to. It's uh, cheg at torahresource.com. It's rvanhoff at torahresource.com. Hey, don't forget, please don't forget to check our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, because you're going to be seeing uh, Rob Van Hoff's 
weekly devotionals every Friday up there. That's going to be fun. I'm excited for it. The first one goes up this Friday. So be a part of it. Share it. Share it a lot uh, on, on your Facebook page so that we can get some more exposure. And uh, yeah, we sure appreciate everyone in the chat room joining us and being with us. And uh, yeah, join us next week. I don't know what in the world we're going to talk about, but we're going to try to find something to talk about that will not only be interesting to you, the audience, but will glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>